0: Welcome to Journey Church. <clears throat> if we haven't met before, I'm Aaron Poor, and I'm the associate pastor here uh, today. Hey. Pastor Sean asked me to, to share, as we are in a series going through the book of Acts, and I want to just take a moment here uh, at the beginning of this part of our service and, and say how important I think this series is. You know, I don't know if... Well, it, it seems like at the beginning of each year, there's something fresh and new, right? And uh, I, I, just, I just believe that just happens to be how God works. But last year, you guys remember, most of you probably, that we had the 100-day dare. And that was amazing. That was awesome. That, that accomplished so many things, and there was so much fruit that came out of that. And this year... Uh, we are started into this series through the book of Acts. I think it is no less significant. And uh, we have been taking a deep dive into what the book of Acts is all about. And then we also have have, how many of you, let me ask you this, how many of you were at our School of the Spirit class on Tuesday night? Yeah, lots and lots of you. Um, Let me tell you this, for those of you who are signed up for that and maybe those of you who want to, to go ahead and jump in on the next three weeks. This is going to get better and better and better. And I, I'm, I, I, I know what's coming, and I'm really excited about it. And I'm just going to tell you, if you're a part of that, hold on. Because it's going to be amazing. And if you missed the first week and you still want to get in on it, I think it's not too late. You can still do that. But uh, we packed this room out with people Wanting to know about the person and the function of the Holy Spirit. And I love to see that hunger. So Acts 3, um, which is where we are in the book of Acts, is a template for post-Pentecost Christian living. Last week we talked about Pentecost, right? Acts chapter 2, when they are all together in one accord... And there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. And we read about what happened on the day of Pentecost. And then the next chapter, Acts chapter 3, is an example or a demonstration of what happens when someone uh, goes through that process of being filled, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then we're learning that Jesus, just to kind of zoom out just a little bit here and talk about what's happening through the whole book of Acts, we're learning that Jesus, one way I guess you could put it, was a prototype for a new kind of human. Now Jesus is God. Jesus is 100% God. But Jesus, as the Son of God, made a decision to come to this earth and live life as the Son of Man. And isn't it interesting when you look at the life of Jesus, some of the points Uh, that stand out. So there's this this scene that when you think of Jesus as the Son of God, seems almost strange, where Jesus is baptized by John in the water. And then we see the Holy Spirit come and rest on Jesus. And it's like, Jesus is the Son of God. He created the world. But what Jesus was doing was demonstrating as a man how it is possible to live a Spirit-empowered life. Life, He was showing the way. And so Jesus is a, is a template. Jesus is a prototype, rather, for a new kind of human. Romans 8.29 is, is the verse that actually talks about this. It says that Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. It says Jesus was the first to come in a long line of others. So there was a multiplication process that began after Jesus. And actually that same verse, Romans eight twenty nine says that you and I are to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So, to, so think again about this idea of there's a prototype, and then there are, there's multiplication that happens based on the prototype. Romans eight twenty nine, Jesus, the firstborn of many brethren, talks about you and I need to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so the book of Acts, which we're going to go all the way through, it's going to be so incredible this year, is the story of how that multiplication began. But here's the thing that's so exciting, is that you and I are part of that ongoing story. And the multiplication is still going on. And what we're reading about that's happening in the book of Acts was not meant to be a blip on human history. The book of Acts is not just a historical record. It's an instruction manual for your life. And so that's what I want us to do. I want us to look at chapter 3, but I want us to take something out of here today that actually affects the way we live talk, relate with people, relate with God. And so Pastor Sean's been speaking on the power that was made available to us when God poured out his Holy Spirit. Week one, a couple weeks ago, was transformed by power. Week two was becoming a transformed people. And so as we continue deeper into the book of Acts, we're going to look at and learn about the authority that we have to actually operate In that power. So we're going to look at what happened in Acts chapter 3. Then we're going to see how it is totally possible for that to happen in our own life as well. That's where we really want to get here. So that that chapter, chapter 3, is a very simple chapter. And uh, you could try to make it more complex and complicated, but there's really no need. It's very simple what happens in chapter 3. There's a demonstration followed by an explanation. That's it. There's a demonstration of this power that Jesus talked about, right? I'm going to quote this verse many times today where Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, wait there, you'll be filled with power. So there's a demonstration of this power Jesus is talking about. Then there is an explanation. Peter gives a message, a sermon. It's a learning moment, and Peter takes advantage of it. And so let's just look at it in two parts. And we start at the beginning. The beginning is where we have the demonstration. So Acts 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Anybody? (laughs) Old school Sunday school. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, so what's happening here? Um, After That day of Pentecost that we just read about last week, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the church, rather than returning to the Galilee region and setting up operations there, rather than dispersing into different areas, they created community in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, of course, was the center of Judaism, it was where the temple was located. And so uh, they continued to observe Israel's institution of worship. So Peter and John are going to the temple to worship. Now this man called the beggar, it says that he was crippled from birth. So he's, he's a paralytic. He's paralyzed. He can't walk. He could never walk. He was born that way. He never took a step. He, he had to be carried everywhere. It said that he was carried to the, to the gate and, and left there. This was a really smart thing for him to do because in Judaism, it was considered a meritorious act to give to the poor. And so this guy's like, I'm going to have them put me right at the gate of the temple. And as people are walking into worship, I'll be there. And if they want to do a meritorious act, I'll be right there and they can give money to me and they can walk into the temple feeling like, hey, I did something good today. And so that's why he was there. So then when Peter and John, look, they, they see him and they say, look at, look at us, look at me. He looks up thinking he's going to, to be given some money. And he's probably surprised when he hears Peter say, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, as I was preparing for this, I was reading through some different commentaries and things And um, I want to read you just an excerpt of one of the commentaries I was reading out of the Expositors Bible Commentary when it talks about this specific moment when Peter says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, because many of us in this room who have a similar background come from the same type of church, even different types of church. So many people, when we pray, will say, whatever we're going to pray, and then in the name of Jesus, amen. Right? It's just kind of programmed into us. I mean, we're raised, if you grew up in church, you're raised that way. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, Lord, thank you for this food. Bless it to our bodies. In the name of Jesus, amen. And we are used to just spitting out that phrase. And it doesn't mean that we don't believe in the power of the name of Jesus, but it just becomes a familiar phrase that we say. And I think there's a really good chance that with lacking understanding of why we do that, we lose the effectiveness of it. So listen to this, and I'm actually going to put it up on the screen. Listen to what this commentary says about that moment that Peter addresses the beggar. It says, in Semitic thought, or in other words, in Hebrew thought, a name does not just identify or distinguish a person. It expresses the very nature of his being. Hence, the power of the person is present and available in the name of the person. Peter, therefore, does not just ask the risen Jesus to heal, but pronounces over the crippled beggar the name of Jesus, thereby releasing the power of Jesus. And the power of the risen Jesus, coupled with the man's response of faith, affects the healing. So, if we don't understand why we pray and speak in the name of Jesus, then we won't see the effectiveness of it. And it's the understanding of that authority that brings the power uh, of speaking the name. And that understanding is really what the Bible calls faith. Okay? So we could take a long side road into what faith is, but let's stay on track here. Let's let's stick with the story. So one thing I want you to notice, I I want to get into what Peter was doing and what he was not doing. Notice when Peter so we, we have a classic story here of a healing in the Bible. Now, we're going to talk about healing some, but this is not a message about healing. We're just using this as kind of our illustration of a broader principle. This applies to lots of other things beyond just healing. So it's not just about healing. But in this story, we have a classic example of healing in the Bible. Now, what was Peter doing? If you go by the way that most people pray for people to be healed, this story would have looked something like this. The beggar's asking for alms, for money. Peter sees him. He says, look at us. He says, I don't have silver and gold, but I do have something that you need. Father, I come to you and I I bring this beggar to you. and, And I ask you right now that if it is your will, that you would just stretch out your hand from heaven and reach down and just... Be merciful to this man and heal this man. Now, I'm I'm, I'm overdoing this to make an effect. I'm not trying to make light of that way of praying. I think that's a wonderful motivation for praying for someone. But I just, what I want to say is that's not what Peter did. I want to be able to just make that point. That's not what he did. Peter spoke to the beggar, right? So he spoke directly to the beggar. Peter was commanding healing over the beggar in the name of Jesus. So there are two ways you can get off track here in this story. One way is to assume that Peter was removing himself from the equation completely, and just saying, hey, if this is God's will, then heal that guy, and Lord, you know what you wanna do, just do it. That's not what happened. The other way you can get off track is by making some sort of weird assumption that Peter somehow healed this guy. Peter did not heal that guy. Peter, is a, Peter can't heal anybody. I can't heal anybody. You can't heal anybody. God is the one who heals. But God moved through Peter. And so that's, the, that's, the, that's what's happening here. So look again at verse 6 in our text. What I do have, I give you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Can we just say that last part together? Let's put it up here. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now think about the phrase, the sentence you just uttered was spoken about 2,000 years ago, and as a result, a man who had never walked his whole life stood up and walked. They said those words. Something happened. So let's look at how this worked. Number one, Peter said, what I do have, I give you. What did he have? What did he have? What did he have? Yeah. Those are all basically right answers. Yeah. Let's put this slide up. What did he have? He had power. He had power. He had what Jesus was talking about. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. This is a really interesting thing right here. And Pastor Sean has alluded to this recently. And if you came to the School of the Spirit class, you heard Lee Cummings talk about this as well. Almost anybody that's gone to church understands the Great Commission. Because whether you're a Baptist or a Lutheran, or a Pentecostal, or a whatever, you know about the Great, Comm- the Great Commission. I remember being at a, at a denominational church when I was a teenager, and they had a little uh, card in the back of the, the, the seat that was about missions, and it said, is his last command our first concern? And, it, and then it had the Great Commission written out under that, The only thing is, the Great Commission is not actually Jesus' last command. It is the marching orders, right? It is the commission. Go into all the world, make disciples of every creature. But Jesus also said right here in Luke 24, let me paraphrase a little bit, just to pull everything into context. Go into all the world and make disciples, but... Before you do that, go to Jerusalem and wait, because you need to be filled with power. Why? Because Jesus is asking us to do something that we do not have the innate power to do on our own. It would not be right For Jesus to say, those who follow me will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover and they'll cast out demons and do all these things when we don't have the ability to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. So Jesus said, before you go do those things, you have to go to Jerusalem and wait because you're going to be equipped and empowered to do the things that I'm telling you to do. So that's what happened is, is Peter was a part of that group that in, the book of, in Acts chapter 2 that went to Jerusalem, waited, and was filled with power. So he says, what I do have, I give you. That's what he's talking about. So what, how did he give it? We know what he had. How did he give it? He gave it by authority. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's an absolute, total key. Because it wasn't his authority that he was operating in that caused that man to go from a paralytic to a healthy, whole man. And that's actually, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, that's part of Peter's sermon that he preaches. But the paralysis in that man could not resist the power of the Holy Spirit coupled, by, uh, coupled with the authority of the name of Jesus. Could not resist it. John 14, 12, Jesus says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Whoever believes in me. Does anybody believe in Jesus? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Again, This is because Jesus came down here to demonstrate what is possible if you live a spirit-empowered life. Everybody knows that Jesus, as the Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of heaven and earth, can come down and heal somebody. That's duh, right? But Jesus was demonstrating that as a man that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit... You can do these things that he's calling you to do. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these. So Peter had power that he gave, and he gave it by authority. If you think about it, these are the same two things that makes it possible for a police officer to do his or her job. They need both of those things. Think about it. What makes... A police officer or a law enforcement person different than just your average person walking down the street who also would like to enforce law right <laughs> a police officer for one thing is carrying a gun and it's not a concealed carry permit gun uh, that is only there to protect them if their life is being threatened I mean if you ha- if you're carrying a concealed weapon uh, you can protect your life, but you can't pull over a speeder and enforce the law because you're carrying a gun, right? You would then be breaking the law if you were to do that. You don't have the authority to do that. But a, So a police officer also carries a badge, which signifies their authority. Think about it. If they were to go out into the field and try to do their job with just one of those two things, they would only get so far. A law enforcement officer with a gun and no badge has power but no authority. And a law enforcement officer with a badge and no gun has authority, but in some cases wouldn't have power. And so we have both. God has given us both authority and power. Um, here's what Jesus says to his followers in um, Mark 16. It says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will. And then there's a list of things. In my name they will. Cast out demons, speak in new tongues, pick up serpents and drink deadly poison. You're talking about supernatural protection, it won't hurt them. Lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Those five words, in my name, they will is talking about power and authority. In my name, authority, they will, power. These are the things that we have. These, these are. This is part of what you receive when you are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is what we're looking at all through the book of Acts and certainly what we're looking at in the School of the Spirit class. This is part of of the, and this is not just, you understand, this is important because if you really want to follow Jesus and you really want to obey what he said to do, and you really honestly want to represent God in this world, you have to receive the, the tools that he gives you to be able to do those things, or you won't be able to. So this is really, really important. So, in my name, they will. We have the power. We talked about it. Uh, Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, tarry there. You will receive power from on high. And we have the authority. In my name, they will. Okay, so that was the demonstration. This crippled beggar for a life is healed in an instant when Peter, in the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, affects his healing, and then, like I said, the other the other part of the the chapter is that Peter then gives an explanation. Now, I don't want to go through his whole sermon. I just want to take a little section of it um, and look at it together with you. So, verse eleven says, talking about the beggar again, while he clung to Peter and John. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? He's immediately addressing the fact that he did not do this on his own. by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. His name, by faith in his name. So the proclamation section of Peter's sermon is really just an exposition on the name of Jesus. That's what's happening. So, Peter and John, they heal this man in the authority and the power of Jesus. And then Peter turns around to the crowd that has gathered around and he explains what just happened. He's like, look, we didn't do it. That was not us. We don't have the ability to do that. We did that in the name of Jesus. Remember the one that you guys all demanded be killed? That was actually God. And it's in his name we are now demonstrating the supernatural power of Jesus, and that's how this guy was healed. So, this is what Peter's preaching. Um, let's just look at two verses again. We already read, just to kind of bring out this point. Verse six, Peter said, Silver and gold I don't have, what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then we just read verse 16. His name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. The faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So, here's where we need to get. We need to get to this place right now where maybe a light clicks on or something and we understand the the possibility that exists to be able to speak and act in the authority of the name of Jesus. And then we need to be able to understand how to really make that work in our life. And we need to take it out of the classroom, so to speak, and, and make it not academic and make it actually a lifestyle and an experience that we have in our own personal life. So that when you go to work or school or wherever you're going tomorrow, you actually carry with you the potential of doing this for real in your real life. That's what we've got to be able to do. So to understand the power and the authority of the name of Jesus, we have to understand the principle that makes this work and makes this real. Because here's the danger. If we don't understand the principle we start treating the name of Jesus like a magic word. And let me say this. That word, J-E-S-U-S, is not a magic word. It's not. In fact, you can pray in the name of Jesus without using the phrase, in the name of Jesus. You don't have to say that to be actually praying in the name of Jesus. It's, 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 it has more to do with disposition than it does with semantics. It's, it's a lot more about relationship and a lot less about repeating words. And the key to being able to actually do this is the relationship, is knowing him, not just knowing about him not just being an expert on things that the Bible says, but actually knowing the one who wrote the Bible. As I was in this spot of preparation for this message, I came across uh, Brady Boyd talking about this exact same thing. He was talking about Acts chapter 3, he was talking about the same story we're talking about, and he was talking about this very issue of how important it is that we know Jesus. And it was impactful for me to hear him talk about it. And I just want to take about four minutes of what he said and share it with you because this is the key. So let's watch
1: Brady. The third thing, he was healed in the name of Jesus. You know, this is the first time that's recorded that the apostles prayed for a miracle in the name of Jesus. We just sung that song. I'm so glad we sang that song, your name, the name of Jesus. They, they, they said it. See in our, in our Western world, we don't, we don't understand the power of a name. We don't usually say, I am Brady, son of Leland. That was my dad's name. We don't say that, but in the Greek and Roman world, they understood the power of a name to use someone's name, to invoke someone's name in the Greek and the Roman world in which this was written was much different than we think about it today in our Western civilized world. For them to say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Here's what they were saying. I know Jesus. Jesus knows me. I have been adopted. He chose me. I am his heir. I have all the rights as the son of God, just like Jesus. When they say in the name of Jesus, he said, listen, the reason I am praying in the name of Jesus is not for some kind of magic, not to create some kind of magic spell over him. He said, no, I know this person, Jesus, and this person, Jesus knows me. And when you know him and you're convinced that he knows you, when you use his name, something powerful happens that is hard to define, it's hard to explain, but I know him and he knows me. And let me just caution you tonight. There's also something very tragic that happens when people pray in the name of Jesus who don't know him. Let me read you a story. This is a really good story. This is right out of the Bible too. I'm not making any of this up. Go to Acts chapter 19, all right? Say it, Isaiah 35, but go to Acts 19. When we use the name of Jesus as some type of magical incantation or some type of religious ritual, it's not good. But when you use the name of Jesus, when we use the name of Jesus because we know him and he knows us, something powerful happens. Let me read this to you, Verse nineteen, chapter 19, verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Now, by the way, these were a a traveling group of exorcists who went around causing a little commotion among people in order to raise money. And he says, they would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Well, seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. And one day, the evil spirit answered them. Now, this is not a good day. This is already going horribly wrong. listen to this listen to what the evil spirit says jesus i know paul i i know about paul who are you and then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding i wish i could make that up that is a great story But it also reminds us, listen, when I know him and he knows me, there is power to be released in my life. And this is what Peter and John realize. They're walking out and something quickens them to look at this blind beggar and they realize, listen, I know the Jesus who heals. I know the Jesus. I was there when another group of friends lowered their friend through a hole in the roof. And one of the first miracles of Jesus was this man laying on a mat in somebody's house. And Jesus reached down the same way we're about to reach down and said, stand up and walk. One of the first miracles these men witnessed in Luke chapter five was a crippled man being healed. I know that Jesus and that Jesus knows me. Because of that, stand up. And he did. You
0: can know God, I mean, you can really know him like the way you know a close friend, a close family member. You can know him. You can have a, uh, I'll just create a term here. You can, you can have a holy familiarity with him. Not an empty familiarity, but a holy reverent Familiarity with the presence and the person of God. It actually is what God wants, is for you to know Him. And I'm not gonna, that's a whole separate message, but if you pour yourself into the Word, the Bible, prayer, and worship, you will get to know God. If you invest yourself in the Bible, prayer, and worship, You will get to know God. I'm not talking about knowing about God. The the seven sons of Sceva knew about Jesus. They just didn't know Jesus. And you can know about God and not know God. Let me say it plainly. You can study theology and not know God. You can spend time listening to podcasts about doctrine. You can read heady books by theologians. You can study ancient manuscripts. And all of that stuff's good. I'm not saying any of it's wrong or bad. It's all good. But none of it means that you know God. It just means that you know about God. A lot of atheists know about God. They know about the the theory of theology. They just don't know God. And, you know, I've always been a person that has focused on uh, the word, prayer, and worship, but I've also always supplemented lots of books and messages from pastors and podcasts of people talking about God because I want to fill in areas that I feel like maybe I don't know very much about this area or that area. But I want to tell you, recently, I've been telling God, look, I just, I really just want to know you. And I'd like to learn just directly from your word and from your spirit. And I want you to just be my teacher and pull me in deeper. And so we can know a lot about God and not know God. I want to know God. You want to know God? I want to know God. You know, I know a lot about music, and I'm not bragging or boasting. It's just, it's true, though. I know a lot about music. I could talk to you about music history going all the way back to the medieval period. Uh, I could tell you how Wagner, uh, you know, influenced music composition. I could talk to you about music theory. I love music theory. We could talk about seventh chords for the next 15 minutes, and most of you would never want to come back to church here again. I have, a, I have a bachelor's degree in music performance, and I've taught music on and off for 30 years. But you know what? At the end of the day, I just want to pick up a guitar and play music. At the end of the day, knowing about music is eh, okay. I want to experience it. I want to play music. Uh, you know, I love them both, but when it comes down to it, I like the experience more than the knowledge. And I want to know God. You know, I want to know God. I want to know about him too. I want to be knowledgeable, but I want to know him. And when you know him, you will confidently speak and act in his name. This, like I said, this is the key that makes these other things we were looking at today, of the power and the authority, makes them actually functional in your life. When you know him. When you know Jesus... You confidently speak in the name of Jesus. And so we've got to know him. You know, when Pastor Sean, he's going to go on sabbatical in a few months. It, you know, it's hard to believe it's already been five years, but it has. And so he's going to be going on sabbatical. When he leaves, he's going to entrust a, a lot of leadership responsibilities to me while he's gone. And part of that, that he, part of what he will trust me to know is what situations can be handled in his absence, what situations need to be tabled until his return, and what situations, hopefully none, would require him to return early and deal with immediately. He will trust me to know that and make those decisions. In other words, he will trust me to a degree to act in his name. But one of the reasons that I can do that is because I know him. I know what he would do in many situations. And so he can trust me with that. If I didn't know him, mayhem could happen if I was to act in his name in his absence. Pastor Sean doesn't want you doing that. Why don't you stop doing that? Why don't you shut down that ministry area? Let's start this ministry area while Pastor Sean's gone. I'm sure he would want you to do that. Or, or whatever the case may be. But I know him, and so he can trust me to make a lot of decisions in his absence. So in order to use Jesus' name, we've got to know him. Think about it like this. And actually, let's have the, let's have the worship team come back up. Because we're going to, we're just going to take a simple step to tell God we want to know him here in just a second. But think about it like this, speaking in the name of Jesus. There is obviously a limit to how this works, right? Because I can't command a million dollars to come into my bank account right now here on the spot in the name of Jesus. If I could, I, I would. Even though a TV preacher might tell me I can do that, it still doesn't work. Because this all works, and Jesus actually taught this, this all works when we do this according to his will. So you've got to know what his will is if you want to confidently speak in his name. Now, if Jesus said, Aaron, command a million dollars to come into your bank account, then I'd be like, in the name of Jesus. (laughs) But I haven't heard him tell me to do that, so I'm not going to pray that prayer because I only want to pray and act... Uh, in the way that I know his will uh, is directing me to. And most of that I'm picking up through reading his word, honestly. And so, but I've got to know him to be able to act in his will. Look, if I was to sum up this whole message in one statement, I would say this. Jesus says, I am departing and leaving you my power and my authority so that you can do my will and establish my kingdom here on earth. That's what Jesus is saying. But we cannot do that without his power. It won't work. We cannot do it without his authority. But we can't really move in those things if we don't know him. So the focus is this, and this is what I want you to get. This is the thing. This is it right here. We're not chasing after power. We are not chasing after authority. We're chasing after Jesus. We're pursuing Jesus. And as we get to know him, and as we step deeper into a relationship with him, we understand the power and we know how to move in the authority. They come with it. But the pursuit is him. The pursuit is him. Let's stand up. And so let's take just a moment here as we close out today and let's orient our heart towards him and let's make a commitment right here and now that we are going to pursue him more. Wherever you are with that, maybe you're already going 100%. Today, you're gonna go 110%. And wherever you're at, we are telling God right here and now, God, I pursue you. I want you. I want to know you more. I want to become more familiar with your ways, with your nature, with your personality. I want to know you more. I want to turn loose of the things of this world and embrace you. Father, right now, as we lift up our voice and our praise to you, I say this, God, according to your will, in the name of Jesus, let your spirit move through this room. In the name of Jesus, let hearts be opened up right now to you, to hear you, to to be led by you. In the name of Jesus, call your people deeper into knowing you more than ever before.